Craft Beer Radio, episode 35, March 16th, 2006. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show for craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I'm Jeff Baer. And I'm Greg Weiss. And this week we are going to be doing fruit beers. Let's jump on to business. Well, Jeff, rock the pint. Instead of us begging you to vote on Podcast Alley, we're going to start something new. Okay. This week, when you're out at a bar or beer store and you see a fellow beer enthusiast, strike up a conversation and tell them about Craft Beer Radio. Yes, that won't feel artificial at all. Well, (laughs) strike up the conversation first. Right, okay. And then work Craft Beer Radio into it. On our show notes for this episode, we have a link to a PDF file that you can print out, and it's a sheet of Craft Beer Radio cards you can cut out, and you can hand out a bunch of outs there. Okay. Uh, Some tips if you want to talk about Craft Beer Radio. If you say it's a podcast, explain that you don't require an iPod. That's Mm -hmm. one thing that I have to do often. Yeah. Tell them they can listen to their computer, and make sure you let them know that all our old episodes are available for the website for free. Download anytime they want. I'm working on flyers that you can print out and hang in bars. See, I'm working on this grassroots thing. Yeah, there you go. See if we can grow the show this way. I like the flyers idea. I don't know so much about the PDF with cards. I think that might, people might think that is kind of cheesy. And that could also go into people think, oh, you're, you're trying to sell me something, aren't you? Okay. But the flyers might work. Okay. Well, you can print out the cards if you want, if I'm going to be a pushy salesperson. But I'll have some flyers up <laughs> hey, soon. Hey, check out this radio show. But talk to your friends. Talk to your strangers. Talk to some beer geeks. And, and just spread the word about the show. We'd love it. Thank you. And rock the pine. And also vote for us on Podcast Alley. Oh, I said we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> and Jeff has been tweaking our MP3s as well. I haven't yet, but I've been playing around with the MP3 settings in this piece of software. And I found a way that makes our files smaller, and they sound just as good or better than they do now. But I'm not sure I understand how this works. It's not just bit rate. It's not just sample rate. It's something. Hmm. It's a maximum frequency thing, and I don't know how it works. So I'm going to put out a sample file on the feed in the next couple of days. Give it a listen, and let us know if you have any problems playing it back. We got some uh, great feedback from listeners who haven't sent us stuff before uh, this week, and so we'd like we'd love to continue to ask listeners who haven't sent us anything to send us in just a note saying I love your show. Um, no, they don't have to say they love the well, show. They can say they hate the show. They can say they hate the show. Send a send note us, saying, hey. Send us some sort of feedback would be great. So we, you can do that in many different ways. You can post a comment on our website, craftbeerradio.com. You can send us an email or audio comment to beer at craftbeerradio.com. You can leave us a comment on Podcast Alley and vote for us, too. Oh, you keep bringing that up. I'm trying to <laughs> take it out. It's not, let's go to email. Okay. Ooh, pronunciation gate this time. This uh, one's from a few episodes ago. Yeah. Alexander writes... Pronunciation gate. Gruyere, which I pronounce Gruyere, is actually Gruyere. Gruyere rhymes with air, he says. And just in case, Emmentaler is one of is the one with big holes. Gruyere is one with tiny holes. If you can, try Gruyere made with raw milk. Also, Gruyere ripened in a grotto is really yummy. Hmm, interesting. And I always forgot a Gruyere. It's one of those pronunciations, just like last week, I just sort of assume, and I assume incorrectly. I've never called it anything, so I'm open for whatever's right. Ripened yeah. in a grotto. The only grotto I know of is the one in the Playboy Mansion. I don't think that's a good place to, grot- to, to ripen stuff. <laughs> he also wrote about cheese fondue. Do you try to have a real one? Yeah, one of these oh, days? definitely. Mm. Lovely those appetizer on a cold winter night, but don't, again, do not drink beer with it. If you do, your stomach will hurt. Interesting. Wonder why that is. You can drink really dry white wine, like the one they typically put in fondue, or you can drink tea, 
but drinking beer while eating cheese fondue is the best way to get cheese balled up in your stomach. And that's why. <laughs> I guess. I don't know, because there's a restaurant near here that has a Sam Adams cheese fondue. They use Sam Adams and Brewery, so maybe it's just the, the, the right beer for the right situation. Uh, I don't know. And he also goes on to write about coffee. We might want to try sitting down with a local coffee geek and have him show us the ropes. And I thought that'd be a really cool idea for an extra show. Hmm. Have someone show us coffee like we would show them beer. That'd be an interesting idea, I suppose. I'm not uh, opposed to it. It's just I'm not that huge a fan of coffee itself. But like I say, I like the aroma. And yeah, I'm sure there are great different aromas and stuff like that. But but he says you don't need to love coffee, but it's a complex enough beverage that's worth a try. At least as an experiment. I'm certainly up for that. Ben sent us a link to a gluten-free beer festival. Link's on our website. So if you're interested, you can go there and find links to probably lots and lots of gluten-free beer. Hmm. Eric writes in that last night he just completed the Bell's five wheat beers. Now, he asked us if we thought about trying all five on the show. It's hard to get. Yeah, Bell's isn't bringing the wheat beers into Pittsburgh, so we can't get them here. If we went to Michigan, I'm sure we could find them, but I don't see that happening either. <laughs> he says he personally liked the Wheat 2 and Wheat Love. Are they named like Wheat 1, Wheat 2, Wheat 3? I think they might have started two. They did a 2, 4, 6, 8, and a Love beer. And each one had two kinds of yeast and two ty- kinds of wheat, 4 or 4, five, hmm. you know, 6, 6. And he went on to say that the more wheats and yeast they used, the more muddled the taste was. I believe that. Adam points us to the Belgian beer pronunciation <laughs> guy that we should have referenced last week. Yeah, because last week I said I thought that Hulgarden was pronounced Hulgarden, but it's actually it's pronounced Hulgarden or close enough to that. This is like right. the fifth time someone sent us the Belgian pronunciation guide. And, and we keep forgetting to use it. We're just stupid. And we never remember to use it when we want to use it. That's why we need you guys to keep writing in to keep reminding us because we are dumb. Now, however, we do have a Belgian beer tonight, and I did look look it up, but it's not one that we would have gotten wrong anyway, no. so. <laughs> it's not La Eiffel <laughs> No. Okay. Uh, David sent us in a link to the, a beer-pouring robot, which we'll have in our show notes, so you can take a look at that. Yeah, the link's thing. up there. It's a, It was in the news a while ago, but there weren't pictures of it before, and this one has pictures of the little robot pouring out a beer. It's kind of neat, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> robot bartenders. Greg writes in A different Greg Different Greg than the one you're talking to right now Your Whip Beer episode inspired me to pick up A six pack of Who Garden White mm-hmm. Ale On my way home from work today I have to agree with your review about how smooth the beer tasted It was quite enjoyable Now you know what's interesting about mm-hmm. Whip Beers On the Belgian Beer Pronunciation Guide In America, they have the American, Flemish, and French, right? Uh-huh. American, it's Whip Beer But if you do the Flemish one It's it's Vitby Or Vit, something like that and in French, it's actually vit beer. Oh, well. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Doesn't that change things? <laughs> it changes things back in July. Yeah, Greg, you go back and fix that. Yeah, so it's okay. Hooray. I got one wrong, but I got one way back. I got one right, kind of, if, if I was fr- French. If you're French. Jean-Luc writes in. says, someone asked about beers in South America. He was in Chile last week, and he was surprised to find one micro. When he asked the Chileans, they told him that the micro started and was very popular, so it was brought out by a macro brewery. And that's one good way to keep things under control for the macro. We agree. The Kutzman Brewery from Valdivia makes an amber and a bock, and he tasted both. And he thinks they have two more beers that he didn't taste. The bock was pretty good, but since it was summer there, he only had one of these once after a few... Pisco Sours, and uh, the pale ale is nice and well-balanced. 
He found them in Concepcion and at the Santiago airport. He could not find any of the Kunstmen in the regular Santiago bar. He goes on to writing a little bit of information about the Mackesons. We mentioned how it was 4% in England mm-hmm. and 5% in North America. Reminds him of a uh, informal study that he did of Guinness in the late 80s. In North America, Guinness was at 5%. Just like most of the other beers in North America at the time. Guinness in England was around 4%. And he doesn't remember the exact percentage. But in Belgium, Guinness he had was 8%. 8%? He came up with the theory that maybe Guinness was brewing beers to the strength that fit the market. I guess in Belgium, a lot of Belgian beers are pretty strength. high alcohol. Right. So. so maybe that's why they were brewing these beers. You know, Guinness was doing that. It's a pretty interesting theory. It would be interesting to try Guinness at 8%. The alcohol would probably come screaming through. Uh, Michael Rice said, uh, yes, people who listen but never write to email, so he did. He says he generally likes our show, but sometimes he disagrees with our definition of craft beer like Blue Moon. More often than not, he gets good ideas from our show. Well, I guess we, we actually had a – we were struggling with this before when we did our, our first Whit Beer show when we, we didn't want to use Blue Moon because we said, oh, they're not craft beer. And we had then, several people write in telling us we definitely should give them a fair shake, so we did. I wasn't sure exactly – how he was, I was curious how he was defining right. craft beer. So I wrote him back and he got back to his, his understanding of the addition of craft beer is that it was coined in response to the popular microbreweries and brew pubs. The small breweries fell victim to their own success, expanding until they were too large to be called microbreweries any longer. So he, he feels that's where the craft beer came in. So it's like, so Sam Adams could still have a term. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that. Well, he says that you know the beers that are still brewed with all the love and quality of a microbrewery would happen to be brewed in larger batches or more often are craft beers. Now, in a sense, people would argue that Blue Moon is this way because Blue Moon is a craft beer. His opinion is it's neither brewed by a craft brewery nor is it a particularly interesting example of a wit beer. I don't think it was a poor wit beer. No. Just compared to the evening, it wasn't as good as the other ones. But I don't think it was poor. He also goes on to say it's kind of like calling Michelob Amberbach a craft beer. And he also doesn't consider Sam Adams, Boston Lager, Goose Island's Honker Ale, or Yingling to be craft beers. And he goes on to say there's a lot of gray area. It's just an interesting point. You have there's so many ways to look at it, whether craft beer is craft beer, or if it's just beer, or if it's a microbrewery, microbeer. I think the real problem here is that there is a difference between micro and craft. And it's like, I think in a sense, that, that, that Anheuser-Busch um, Winter's Bourbon Cascale was a craft beer. It was a, specific, it was a specifically crafted beer. It was crafted to have a different taste than the normal standard stuff that you get. It was, it was crafted to be different. And that, I think, should be considered a craft beer as opposed to it's certainly not a micro. And you're certainly not going to be supporting micro breweries. And you're certainly not, not going to be supporting the quote-unquote craft beer industry but right. you will be, <clears throat> but you will be supporting craft beer in general if you have more of that. You will be supporting the idea that beer is more than just fizzy yellow stuff. So I mean, I guess it depends on how you want to define it. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm picking on Mike. He never wrote in before, so <laughs> <laughs> like you said, a lot of gray area in how you define your craft beer, and uh, just everyone needs to really think about it. You know, do the politics come into play? Is it just about the beer? And also, I guess it depends on beers you like. He said both Boston, Sam Adams, Boston Lager, and Yingling are not craft beers. I think Sam Adams Boston Lager is a craft beer, but I like it, and mm-hmm. I think Yingling is not, and I don't like it. So maybe that has something to do with my opinion. I'm not maybe, sure. Maybe. On to news. Kegs become target to thieves as metal prices soar. I read this. I saw this in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, I saw this <laughs> in the Wall Street Journal, too, because I was getting my mirror fixed on my car. It was actually on the front page. Yeah. So, and I saw something about brewers, and I'm like, oh, wow. So it caught my eye. 
Yeah, the uh, scrap prices have gone way up in the past couple of years, and scrapyards are taking like twenty one dollars for used keg for kegs. The deposit's only ten bucks, so you could make money. Yeah, stealing kegs and and turning them in, and even paying the deposit, not just stealing them from the bars or anything, stealing them from the breweries. Boulevard Brewing Company in Kansas City, the brewmaster Neil Witta, or Wit depends if he's American or not. I guess <laughs> it was a Neil Witt. <laughs> no, as unusual. He he is going to the scrapyards and looking for his kegs to reclaim them. Wow, he's uh, is actually making a dent. The work he's done. He's also painted his kegs with a yellow thing. It's a stop, and it says something about you know the scrapyards will not buy Boulevard Brewing Company kegs, and it's really helped his losses. A company like Boulevard Brewing Company has twenty percent of the brewers' fixed assets tied up in their kegs. So if they're losing kegs. Yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Definitely. Some other stories this article had about metal, scrap metal being stolen around the country is interesting. In Beijing, twenty-five thousand manhole covers were stolen <laughs> last month. Groundskeepers at the Royal Your Country Club in Malaysia discovered that somebody had taken aluminum cups from twelve of the golf link holes. Wow, that's like what twenty cents worth of aluminum. Jesus. Problem is growing in the United States too. There was a situation in Oregon. Or two men and a woman dressed with orange workman vest arrived at an isolated bridge in the Willamette National Forest and in broad daylight put out traffic cones and dismantled cross beams and handrails from the bridge. <laughs> a couple years ago, scrap was about $5 a keg. Now it's $21. Kegs cost about $90 each for a brewery to buy. So uh, don't steal kegs from breweries. Yeah, please don't steal kegs. There are other ways to make money. Boston Beer Company eyes expansion. Boston Beer, which makes Sam Adams said it might further expand their Cincinnati brewery or possibly build another one elsewhere. Companies invested more than $11 million in the former Hudapol Schoenling Brewery in 2005. So this is the brewery that brews most of Sam Adams' beer and mm-hmm. also with Mackesons' brew. Mm-hmm. Boston Beer Company said in the report that it's evaluating long-term... Mackesons brew in America, we should say. Oh, yeah, American Mackesons, sorry. Boston Beer said in the report that it's evaluating its long-term production strategy and could decide to make all of its own beer until it bought the Hootenpool Schoenling Brewery 10 years ago, <laughs> almost all of its beer was made under contract at other companies. So it's a big turnaround. If it works out, they're going to start making all their own beer. I'd never realized how big a deal contract brewing was. Mm-hmm. I'm reading the book on the Brooklyn Brewery uh, guys right now, and I'm going to give that to you when we're done. But they started out 100% contract brewing with, really? F- with FX Matt, and the brewery came later. I'm not sure how much later. I haven't got to that part of the book yet. But yeah, they started out 100% contract brewing. I mean, I know that the um, the Otaru Brewery uh, in Japan, you know, they had the Otaru line, but they also contract brewed for Bikiro Donkey. And they do a whole bunch of different beers besides their Otaru line. So This article also thing. mentions another interesting thing. Because craft beer industry is getting so popular, all these mid-sized regional breweries that had extra capacity don't have the capacity now because they're doing all these contract brews. So it's not like Sam Adams can just buy up another contract right, brew right. somewhere else because all these breweries uh, some other examples are Lion Brewing and Mokesbury Scranton they do some contract brewing or they did they might be doing more of their own stuff now Pittsburgh Brewing does some contract brewing or mm-hmm. did before they hit you know financial right. problems or whatever so but this capac- this extra capacity isn't there anymore so brewers are going to have to find new ways to expand hey more breweries is good for me Yep, I like the idea. Corona dumps its importer. I'm not sure if the story means anything to us, but the Mexican brewer won a court battle against Gambrinus Company. We're probably Gambrinus as the importer in the eastern United States 2007. Hot and cold running beer. I'm sure everyone's heard this story <laughs> yeah, this by is now. A good story. But if you know, we'd be accused of not doing our due diligence if we didn't report it. A woman in Norway discovers beer coming out of her water faucet. <laughs> 
A woman in Norway was startled this past weekend when she drew water to wash dishes and beer came out of the taps. Given that beer in Norway is quite expensive, costing about $7.50 for a 12-ounce bottle, she might have felt immediately rich, except she said the beer tasted a bit odd and was not at all carbonated. (laughs) Turns out she lives two floors above a bar, and somehow they have funky plumbing in Norway that the guy hooked up the keg rung and hooked it up to the water pipe. This sounds almost like an urban legend. Yeah. I mean, how can you accidentally hook a keg up to the water pipe? But that's the story. Everyone's, fa- everyone's I guess, college fantasy. <laughs> I Turn guess. on a faucet and beer comes I wouldn't out. be surprised if that's an urban legend. Mm-hmm. What beer am I? What beer are you? Last week's beer was Bar Harbor Cadillac Mountain Stout. A tough one. Yeah, we only got three people. Tom, Emily, and Eric. Congratulations to you three. This week's beer should be easier with the help of Google. I think this one's a more Googleable beer okay. than the last one. I'm a Russian stout made by a new brewery. New brewery. I am hand-bottled, labeled, capped, dipped in wax, signed and numbered. Oh, interesting. I come in a 22-ounce bottle, and only 1,200 bottles were made. Only 1,200 bottles, huh? I am made by a former brewer of the Angelic Brewing Company in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. My name comes from the Russian word for big, but you may know me best for a belly company of the same name. I think it's time to move on to the beer. Fruit beer this time. Fruit beer. Okay, which shall we do first? This one. Okay. This one's wrapped in paper. <laughs> now, fruit beers are beers that are made with fruit. And there and you go. These beers are of different styles this evening. First one here is, it's a bit confusing of the style. I think it's most accurately a Flemish sour ale. Okay. We're talking about Leafman's Frambozen beer. It's a quart bottle, even though it's, a, I think, a 12 ounce. This is a raspberry fruit beer. Won the bronze medal at the 2005 International Beer Competition. Let's see if I can take this cork off without shooting the ceiling like last time. There we go. Nice. Uh, won a gold medal at the Championship Specialty Beer at the 2004 Brewing Industry International Awards. And a silver medal at the 2000 Brewing Industry International Awards. Made by Brewery Leafmans in Odenard, Belgium. Brewery started in 1679. It has 4% alcohol by volume. It is dark. It's a very dark red color. It poured a um, brown with a little bit of red highlights to it. I think it was a very dark red because, I mean, it, it, just, it, it, it gives more of a redness than the typical brown does. It poured with a um, medium light head, I'd say. I wouldn't go always mm-hmm. light, but it, it's actually going away quickly. It's not really a white head. It's kind of a, I don't know. It's weird. It just looks like a dirty head. It's a, cr- it's a cream-colored head. Oh. Yeah, dirt colored it. Dirty head on this beer. The aroma. The aroma is raspberry and um, vinegar. Yeah, I got some of that definite lambic or, or sour mm-hmm. sour beer smell in there. It's about half and half, maybe a little bit more on the raspberry side. It definitely has some of the same aromas that the Lindemann's framboise, you're supposed to say the S. Framboise. Actually. Framboise okay. has, and, uh, but it's not quite as, as overall fruity as the Lindemann's. There's a lot of sourness in this one, which I really do dig. Um, the raspberry, you know, immediately hits and then kind of fades through the sides of your mouth around there. It's definitely apparent, but there's a lot of sourness, and I love that. I love sour beers. Kind of gives you all the all the benefits of wine with a beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Actually, this is a beer to get us primed up for next week. 
With our Lambique show. I can't wait to have that. I can't <laughs> I also check that pronunciation because uh, I've heard it pronounced several different ways. It's an interesting mix. Sometimes I think it's a little too much fruit and sweetness. Sometimes it's not. Like most of the aftertaste, I think it is a little bit, there's a lingering sweetness there that I'm really not digging all that much. I mean, really? I like the sweetness. I like the sweetness. I like the sourness mixed in with it. Yeah, we are doing fruit beers. I guess I should get pretty quick here, huh? Yeah, I mean, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. So what would you pair this with? We're drinking these out of snifters, by the way. Um, what would I pair this with? This might go well with, with a light fish dish. Yeah, I was just thinking fish or mussels, maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, mussels. That's a good one. But not with, like, you know, some kind of light mussels sauce. Yeah, well, I wouldn't go like... with a strong flavor like salmon, but I might go with something like um, tilapia or um, um, sole. A white fish. You know what, this is probably going to go with cheesecake. Yes, it would go very well with cheesecake. I'm trying to think, I was thinking, you know, which desserts is, is a great match. Re- uh, and cheesecake, I think, would be pretty Fudge good. or um, brownies. Fudge. I don't know if I really, I don't see this going with chocolate like, and raspberry are such great flavors. They do, but with this particular beer, I just don't see it going with a chocolatey type dessert. This would also go with a salad. Cheesecake or a custard or something. A salad. An aperitif of some sort. This would be nice and light. Mm-hmm. The vinegary would help with the other. I mean, because you usually put vinegar on a salad anyway, so sort of help express the other properties of your lettuce and your cucumber. I wonder if you could use this or turn it into some kind of dressing. I bet you certainly could. I know that at the Sharp Edge, they take Lindemann's framboise and they turn mm-hmm. that into a cheese, raspberry cheesecake sort of dressing. Okay. So. I mean, I mean, like a salad dressing. I wonder if you could use this. I don't know if you could use it straight up, but I wonder if you could do something to turn this into like a vinaigrette-type salad dressing. Like reduce it down a little bit. I'm not Put sure. some sugar in it. and Because um, you want it – it's a little bit too sour, I think, for a salad dressing. Okay. You know? I don't know. Because usually you temper vinegar with oil, and you wouldn't want to temper – this would not go well with oil, I no, think. No, no, it wouldn't. But you, you might want to make it a little bit sweeter, reduce it down, and certainly remove all the carbonation. It is tasty. Yeah. I was just thinking, I wonder what – the Leafman's standard beer without the raspberries in it tastes like just how sour it is. I'm yeah. curious about that now. You have to try that at some point. Now, these are made sour by bacteria. You're right, Greg. With this beer being a Flemish sour ale, they typically use ale yeast as well as lactobacillus and acetobacters, and they contribute to the ferment and the flavor. The lactobacillus will give you lactic acid, and the acetobacters will give you acetic acid. You buy some yeast from White Labs, you pretty much know what you're going to get. But with bacteria, it might take off fast, it might not, mm. and it's a lot more uh, inconsistent, which I thought was interesting. This is coming to the end, and I'm disappointed, because I liked it so much. I would recommend, I, I keep mentioning the Lindemans, because it's the most popular lambic mm-hmm. that most people are listening or be able to get their hands on. If you've had that, and you think it's just a little bit too raspberry... It's not sour enough. Yeah, you might want to try this one. This one's a little bit more authentic, if you will, where... But still with the fruit fruitiness coming through. Yeah. Where Lindemans, you can see, would be, you know, it's like the Mike's Hard Lemonade of Lambics, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more expensive than Mike's Hard Lemonade, though. Actually, I saw on Beer Advocate, Lindemans is putting out an apple beer called Pome. So that could be interesting. Hmm. See what that's like. Our next beer. We're coming across the ocean, but to another place where French is one of the main languages spoken. From Unibrew, the Ephemer Apple. 
Actually, we're not doing apple. I fooled you. Hardy har. Oh. This is cherry. Cranberry. Cranberry? Cranberry. That's crazy. Can't make a beer out of cranberries, can you? We'll see. Let's find out. I thought it was the apple one, too, until I went to go grab it out of the (laughs) cellar. I'm like, oh, yeah, I bought the cranberry one. This cork's a lot tighter. It's not coming out as easy. Yeah, just twist it. Here it goes. Okay, here, wait wait for the pop, wait for the pop. And this beer is a spring seasonal, 5.5% alcohol by volume. From Unibrew, started in 1991. Annual production of 67,000 HLs. What are HLs? Hectoliters. Hectoliters. That is about 58,000 barrels, I believe. Or 52,000 barrels. Jeff, doing the quick math. I did it the other day. (laughs) This is the third in a series of fruit-based blanche beers. Brewed from 100% first quality natural ingredients with, (laughs) this is marketing speak, a perfect blend of spring barley, wheat, apple, or this I guess would be not apple but cranberry wort, spices, and natural aromas. Now, they call this beer on lees. Beer on lees means? Means it's on the yeast. And means, I think it means in this case, that the bottle the bottle condition. Mm-hmm. There's yeast on the bottom of the bottle. It's either that or that they're aged on a fair amount of yeast in the aging tanks. I see. Anytime I've ever seen a brewery oh. use it as Unibrew. But when I was Googling the term to learn more about it so I could talk about it right now, mm-hmm. it seems like it's used a lot more frequently in winemaking. I see. Interesting. Yeah, I don't usually find yeast in the bottle of wine bottles. So the first thing I had I, when I was pouring this beer, I noticed is it's a golden color. Yes, it is. You would expect a cranberry beer to have some reddish to it, but, but no, it's it's much more golden, sort of like a pale ale almost, but hazy, not totally clear. Yeah, poured with a big fluffy white head that's falling, you know, and it has a really interesting aroma. It has a wheat aroma to it. Wheat, sugar. Wheat. This is a wheat beer, by the way. Wheat, sugar. Cranberry, definitely. You have cranberry in the aroma? Sour. I'm missing it right now. Oh, yeah, it's there. It's kind of a sweet cranberry. Interesting to see how this tastes. I can't pick it up with my nose. Let's see if the tongue can. It's there. It's in the background, though. It's an interesting flavor. Yeah. It's got a lot of spicy wheatness there. The yeast is giving it some some character, and it's different. You know, I've had a, We're going to be doing the Universe Spotlight soon. And I've never really had them side by side like we will then. But it seems like there's a consistent taste that comes from the Unibrew mm. beers. That's uh, probably their yeast. I'm not picking it up in this one. This one has a um, carbonation's pretty prickly on this. And it, it finishes really clean. There's not much aftertaste in this. If you asked me what fruit this was, I wouldn't say cranberry. I might even be I might even say apple. Cause That's, you know, kind of what I'm thinking. I've had the M for your apple, and it's it's pretty apple y. Mm. I'm getting kind of an apple taste from this. A lighter apple, sort of an apple pie apple, kind of almost pearish. Not quite, though. That's weird. A wheat ale brewed with cranberry juice, natural flavors, and artificial colors. Interesting. (laughs) Why would they artificially color the beer? I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't turning out to be an appetizing color. Maybe maybe it's turning out to be almost grayish. Oh, could be. That'd be interesting. So... Come on, find me the fruit, Jeff. Find me the fruit. Show me the fruit. The the, the phenols from the, from the yeast are very interesting. I'm trying to think of a style this is like. It's not really a triple. Mm-hmm. It, it's a wheat beer, but it has some Belgian yeast to it, but it's not like a wit beer because it's not spiced. 
It's not really like a Hefeweizen. I think the mouthfeel is closest to a triple, but it doesn't have the, the, the Belgian sugariness. Yeah. I mean, maybe think American wheat with Belgian yeast, with Abbey-type yeast. So it's heavily carbonated, which is different from the smoother sort of taste you expect from a Hefeweizen or a, uh, or a wit beer. Uh, kind of, although it somewhat reminds me of Pyramid's Hefeweizen. That's, also, that's a little bit uh, prickly carbonation that same okay. way. Yeah, I think it's the Belgian yeast in this beer that's – it's kind of reminding me of like an Abbey, kind of like the, the yeast profile on a triple or something along mm-hmm. those lines. See, the, the kind of yeast with the fruitiness is very interesting take on it all. It, it, remember, we, we tried to brew a raspberry Hefeweizen a while ago, and it came out okay. It was used an extract, a raspberry extract. Somewhat similar to this one, but the, the, the flavor of the fruit is much milder here. Yeah, I'm going to work out some carbonation because it's still really prickly. I just want to see what it tastes like with some car- less carbonation in this thing, see if the fruit comes out anymore. So I wonder if this would be, since it's a yeast uh, a wheat beer, I wonder if the putting the yeast in this, mixing it up, would make it change. I would think this beer is not supposed to have the yeast in it. I'm pretty sure. Uh, for listeners who might not know what I meant by working out the carbonation, in our snifters, it's easy just to swirl the beer around in the glass, and it causes it to work the CO2 out of solution. Foams up, makes it a brand new head on the beer. Just a little extra agitation. And the beer goes will- a long way. It'll be a lot less of that prickliness in the carbonation when you take a sip. You'd think. And yet the carbonation stays. At least it did no, for me. Not for me. I worked enough out that um, the prickliness on your tongue where it's exploding on your tongue definitely wasn't there. Didn't really bring any fruit out any bring any more fruit out than I had before though. But right now it's just tasting like a, a wheat beer now. The you, you uh, can't the, taste fruit at all. I must be immune to I eat craisins all the time, so I know what cranberries taste like. But <laughs> it's like I say, it's much more of a pear apple flavor than a cranberry. I'm detecting a little bit of tartness, a little bit of that acetic acid vinegary flavor. You know what I just got cranberries? In a little belch burp that I just let out. <laughs> so just wait for your burps so yeah. you get all the flavor. That's where I'm getting all the cranberries. I just had some more gas I had to let out and uh, it's cranberry. In when you're getting that flavor through your mouth, nose. Who knew? I haven't had a, a chance to burp yet, so I can force it, but it is not quite the same thing. You never know what's going to come up at that point. <laughs> if we didn't say the Unibrew Inferior we got was in a 25-ounce yeah, bottle. Yeah, it's a big bottle. Our final beer of the night, and you're saying three beers? Why? Well, because our final beer of the night is Dogfish Head's Fort. And Dr. Chad's Fort, as you may know, is... Tips, ex- the, tips the scales. Yes, it's an extreme beer. It has 18% alcohol by volume. 18%. And it's brewed by Dr. Chad Craft Brewery in Milton, Delaware. This is, again, a 22-ouncer, capped and not corked. Uh, brewery started in 1997, and a production of 20,000 barrels. We've said that many times because we've had many dogfish heads. I had a chance to try this two years ago at the Extreme Beer Fest. I didn't, and I'm upset that I didn't. But here we go. This beer is it, it's it's pouring a, a tan orangish color. With a, this hand is actually sticking around. Holy raspberries in the aroma! <laughs> raspberries. Uh, this is a raspberry. What do they describe on the bottle here? Well, it's the world's strongest fruit beer. It's a basically ale brewed with pureed raspberries. Over a ton of Oregon and Delaware raspberries that were dosed in slowly over a two month primary fermentation. Two month primary fermentation. Wow. The aroma on this thing is unlike anything I've ever smelled before it's, uh, in a beer. Yes, it's – wow, it's, it's almost like a liquor. 
Yeah, that'd be very good. I was thinking like raspberry and sugar. And mm-hmm. what do you have when you have like a raspberry type liqueur? It's very sugary and sweetness in the aroma. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a soda, like you know, like a, a like yes. a homemade cherry cola yeah, type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you smell that, and it smells similar to like a homemade cher- like a good cherry cola. Uh, that's a very good. That's a very good way of describing it. Fountain shop in a small town and order a <laughs> cherry coke, and they actually make it there. This is ninety one percent pills malt and nine percent malted wheat, uh, and uses warrior hops. Okay, it's a mix of. Um, a fruit cola and cough syrup and <laughs> alcohol and a shot of <coughs> a shot of some I don't know what kind of alcohol but wow that's interesting you get hit with with a, with a fruity thing right at front sugariness and then bam bitterness and alcohol wham hits you right in the back of your tongue and of course it's going to taste the best it can because we're using our dogfish head snifters yes that's something else. It's a sipper. Yeah. Certainly a sipper. We have a half snifter full each. That's more than enough. Oh, yeah. You're not kidding. This is this is a high alcohol beer. And it's funny, you know, this is one of the earliest shows we've had because of circumstances led to that this week. It, it feels almost too alcoholic for, what is it now, almost like 8 or 7.30. Yeah, it's 7.30. <laughs> so what's this beer go with? This goes with chocolate. <laughs> yeah, this goes with chocolate. This goes with um. Hmm. Let's see if we can get any like f- details on the flavors yeah. in this beer. Wow, this one is. Nope, alcohol. Mm-hmm. And raspberries. Raspberries, alcohol. I mean, taste is reminiscent of of liqueurs, but with carbonation. How, how long has it been since you've had a hundred and twenty minute IPA? It's been about three or four. It's been about four weeks. Okay. How's that compared to this? Because that's a lot closer than since I've had one. 120 IPA is just kind of, it's it's a more syrupy version of their 90. Okay. It's not at all like this. Okay. But I did have their Worldwide Stout, a little sip of that, the 21% version. And that was much more alcoholic than the Worldwide Stout we had on tap. Mm-hmm. The alcohol is much more present. Yeah, I had the twenty three percent, which yeah. is as high as they made it. It's it's not as good as the eighteen percent yeah. they're making now. And that's I've said this stuff on the show before, but I've talked with Sam at one at the dogfish dinner, and he said, yeah, they intentionally scaled it back because that was a better beer at eighteen percent. I I definitely agree. Uh, you know, I wish my father had a chance to try the eighteen percent because I think that was a better experience than the twenty one. Even though twenty one was very interesting, he he really dug it because he hadn't really had beers like that before. Brian. From Philly, told me a little thing about the Gaithersburg Dogfish. It is endorsed by Dogfish Head. They're using the name, but it's run by a restaurant guy who might not get the beer completely. But Sam Calgione has uh, interest in protecting his brand and his name. So if you got if you're unsatisfied with stuff there, you should write an email to Sam. I maybe will. And I think it's Sam at Dogfish dot com. I mean, going as a Dogfish Head. Beer fan, I went in there expecting to be, you know, go to a dogfish head mecca. And no, it's just, it's a, a, a relatively pedestrian restaurant that serves great beer, but only serves the beer that you could get almost anywhere else in Maryland. Right. This is a whopper of a beer. This one, it's hard to really describe because it's, it, it's really hitting us with alcohol a lot more than I think that you and I expected. Yeah, I expected a lot more fruit. But it's not oversweet, which is good. If there was more fruit, it could be getting on the sweet side. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, 18%, you expect a lot of sweetness. I'm not detecting a lot of sweetness. I mean, there's fruitiness there, a little bit of sweetness, but mostly alcohol flavors and fruitiness. You mentioned how the 120 minute was a syrupy version of the 90. Yeah. It says a lot less sweet than the 120. I mean, aside from the alcohol wrecking you, I'd say this is a lot more drinkable. It's not as cloyingly sweet as like the 120 is. Right. But you really, none of these beers can be drinkable. You're not going to order four point four pints of any of their extreme, Dogfish's Extreme beers. I had um, Midas Touch recently. Okay. Had a bottle from our bottle shop. And it was good. It was just, uh, just as good as I remembered. So, I mean, yeah. really interesting and different. I, again, I want to just, since we're drinking Dogfish, I just remind you that I want to recommend people try out Midas Touch. Especially if, like uh, Jeff and I, you're just getting a little bit tired of hoppiness and you want something a little bit different. That's a good point. Yeah. I can't wait till summertime comes around, springtime, summertime, and see if I regain my hunger for hops. <laughs> I, I want to see if it's a seasonal thing or if it's just a developmental thing. I was at the homebrew club meeting this weekend and I mentioned this to some people and they're like, yeah, everyone seems to go through that. You know, homebrewers will go through this stage where they just go hop nuts and they're making their own double IPAs and stuff. And then after a while they start... You know, okay, let's make some Dortmunders and some Kolsch's and some more, you know, yeah. traditional multi styles and some wit beers. I was at the Sharp Edge with Jeff yesterday, and I was telling him I just feel like a lager. I I, I wanted something that was lager esque. I ended up going with the with the Franz Conner Hefeweizen, which is a lagered beer, so you could call it a lager if you wanted to go that. If you want to go the German traditional yeah, brewer route, traditional brewer route, but. I just felt like I wanted a lager at that point. I didn't want something incredibly hoppy. I didn't want something incredibly strong. I wanted something that would be refreshing. The alcohol is not as apparent now that we're getting a little bit... uh had a little time to rest. A lot of the alcohol that's there is evaporated, or at least a lot of the surface alcohol is evaporated. We're left with an intense, fruity beer. I mean, I'm sure it's still it's obviously still alcoholic, but our tongue's gotten used to it. We're getting a little bit more... uh, it doesn't have the sourness that the other beers have. You know, yeah. it doesn't have that lambicness, that tartness that you associate with the other two. With really with the uh, with the, the frambozen. Yep. Well, this is going to take a long time to finish. You want to wrap up? Yeah. Let's let's wrap this one up. Ranking tonight. Oh boy. It, it's kind of tough. I know what my number one is. Don't know how I would compare the other two. I think I'm going to go with the Leafman's number one. I just really enjoyed it. Okay. I like that sour. I, you know how much I love sour beers. Yep. And I just was really digging it the whole time through. Great stuff. Number two, it just seemed like the fruit flavor, since we're doing fruit beers, the fruit flavor was more expressive in the fort. Okay. Uh, th- it was definitely there. Whereas with the Unibrew, it was kind of there. It was hidden. Unibrew was great. Yeah. It just felt the fort was a little bit more expressive fruit-wise. If you're going for fruitiness, go for the fort over the universe. Okay. So now I have to think of it two different ways. Talking about the best fruit beer of the night, I'd have to say the fort's the best fruit beer of the night. If I talk about my favorite beer of the night, I would have to say the Unibrew, the Mm. Emphier. I just like nice, clean wheat beer. There wasn't much fruit in it. I liked So I'm going to turn your rankings upside down. Ooh. Unibrew number one. Not The cranberries didn't come through like I hoped they would, but I really liked the beer. The Ford I'll put number two. 
I, I like it. It's uh, had an interesting fruit flavor without being too sweet, and you know the alcohol's crazy in it. Yeah, I had to put the Leafman's number three because the raspberries did seem a little bit sweet and syrup, or not really syrupy, but just a little bit oversweet for me at times. I like That's the sourness, too- but it did seem. I just thought there was a little too much raspberry sweetness in there. Well, I'm sure Leafman's is very upset, but hey, Jeff tells him how he how he drinks them, <laughs> and that's how it's got to be. All right, so we're going to finish up the Emphemir and the, the, the Emphir and the Fort in the post show. Join us if you'd like, and we will be back next week with Lambiques. Ooh, Lambiques! I can't wait for that show. We're going to do the Lindemans Frambois. We're going to do a Conti. We're going to do two Contillons: the Gambrinus de Rose, and also. The Grand Cru? No, it's a different one. Um, I think it's a regular flavored. We gotta say oh, some suspense. I mean, come on. Okay, I think it's a Huza. But anyway, this gonna be some fun stuff next week. I look forward to it. And Hope you look forward to it too. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to Craft Beer Radio. That's all for Craft Beer Radio. If you have any questions or comments, email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. And feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. Our intro and closing music is Lameface by Feeble Wiener. You can find a link to Feeble Wiener on our website. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information. Hey!